Well, last week, I went in for a physical. And uh, my doctor asked me some questions. He uh, took my vitals, drew uh, some blood, gave me a Tetris, tetanus shot, which, uh, Tetris shot? <laughs> yes, things were on the wrong squares inside of me, he said. Um, and uh, then I went home. It was very easy, and hopefully you're getting the physicals that you need to, all of you. Well, then a few days later, in the mail, I received the results of my blood test, and uh, And this was a sheet of paper that told me where I ought to be in various areas of health, my uh, cholesterol levels and things like that. And then after it told me where I should be, it told me where I actually am. And they provided that for me so that I could compare these two measurements and use them as indicators of my overall physical health. Well, in the same way, the Bible gives us many different indicators and markers of what it looks like to be healthy spiritually. And I was reading through the book of Acts a couple of months ago, and I came across this little short passage here, and and I I thought, boy, that, that really does give us a sense for what a healthy person and a healthy church looks like because it's, it's telling of this group of, of people who not only seem to have spiritual health together, but uh, they seem to be spiritually healthy uh, among one another as well. And so this morning, what I'd like to do is just spend a few minutes investigating what the source is of the good health that's described for us in this passage in order that we might have an opportunity to compare and evaluate ourselves in light of it with the aim of becoming healthier too. So let's reread this very short but rich uh, verse again. It's Acts chapter 9, verse 31. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. Just a very brief bit of background on this. The book of Acts uh, tells the story about how a small group of Jesus' apostles grew to become a thriving and spreading church uh, movement. And this little uh, passage that we have for us this morning is like a summary statement. It's a kind of a progress report that comes about a third of the way through the book of Acts. Uh, Up until this point, things have been uh, very difficult. The church has been facing persecution, uh, especially uh, uh, from a man whose name was Saul. But Saul has switched sides. He's become now one of the leaders of the church. And it sort of seems to usher in this season for the church that wouldn't last too long, but that would be full of relative peace and calm. And during this time, this gives us a glimpse of what was happening in the lives of these people. Uh, It says here that the church was being built up, which means that it was growing stronger. Uh, As these people gathered together for teaching and for community life and to serve one another and and the community, uh, we would say in the vocabulary of our church here that they were becoming more and more alive in their relationship with Christ. And they were becoming more and more deeply connected with one another. They were becoming family and that together they were engaged in the concerns of of the community that they found themselves in and and the world. And in fact, that concern for others around them showed up as not only were they being built up and growing stronger, but they were getting bigger too. 
They they were growing. The Christians here were multiplying. Uh, Apparently what was happening was that outsiders of that church were peeking in and wondering what was going on in their lives. And these Christians had a chance to tell them. They shared their faith. They they shared what Christ had, had done, and others began to trust Christ too. And so as everyone was building up, they were also building out. And what you have here is a description of a very vibrant church that seems to have been filled with healthy people. And that's what we want to be too, isn't it? We want to be a church like that. We want to be people like that. Well, if we want to evaluate our own spiritual health, the first thing that we need is kind of a baseline for what a healthy Christian is supposed to look like. And so what does health look like here? Right? Again, the Bible gives us lots of marks of healthy Christians, but, but what does it say here? What is it that, that uh, is highlighted that helped this church to become one that was being strengthened and growing? Well, I think we find two things that stand out in this passage. It says that they were walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. What I think this suggests is is that if we are to be healthy together as a church family and separately as individuals, that these two traits, walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit, have to mark our lives too. And that if they don't, it is a sign of our poor health. So I want to spend a few minutes uh, unpacking both of these areas together. Uh, Let's start with this idea of the fear of the Lord. What does it mean to walk in the fear of the Lord? Well, uh, fearing God does not mean that we should be afraid of him in a kind of a dreadful way. Christians, the Bible teaches us, have no reason to be scared of God. One of the unique privileges of being a Christian, Jesus has absorbed for us any and all of God's judgment and wrath that we deserve to face as sinners. Just like that passage we looked at this morning, our transgressions have been blotted out and forgiven so that we can always approach God as his children with confidence and with assurance. So then, what does it mean to fear God? Well, the main thrust of that word contains basically two ideas. The first is reverence, and the second is awe. A reverence for God means having a deep sense of respect and appreciation for God that reaches below the surface of our lives and and is ever burrowing all of our lives into deeper crevices of our hearts and, and minds. Reverence means that you really care what God thinks about you, that his thoughts about you matter to you, that they carry a certain weight in your life, and that what God thinks of you matters so much that you conform yourself to his desires for you, not because you have to, not because somebody tells you that you should, but you make it your aim to please him out of a sense of gladness, joy. The idea of reverence is the idea of respect. It's, a, it's living with a respect for the Lord that is, is a weight that, that you feel as you walk throughout your life. 
Now, awe, on the other hand, is a little different. If reverence is about respect, then that sense of awe is more about wonder. It's living with with a a wonder in God. And and I want to talk about this for for just a few minutes. Uh, Many years ago, I had the opportunity to uh, visit the Adirondack Mountains in New York and I found a lodge on the internet, and I went there, and I stayed there, and it was just this big room filled with bunk beds and a lot of snoring guys, and they served you breakfast and and, and sent you out on the trail. And uh, early uh, one morning, I I met a man who had grown up uh, living in those mountains, and he asked me if I wanted to take a hike with him to see something. And so I agreed to, to do that, not really realizing what it was that I was getting into. And so we set out at, I, I don't know, 6 o'clock, 6.30 in the morning, and the terrain there was so rocky and rough, and it was drizzling that morning, and everything was, was wet. But this man, he uh, kind of half ran half hiked in front of me, and he just took off. And he was leaping from boulder to boulder like a gazelle, and I could barely keep up with the guy. In fact, I remember smiling to myself and thinking, I'm going to die. This is going to be the place that I'm going to die. And and it was a beautiful place to die. I I guess maybe that would have been okay. Well, finally, we reached the end of this grove of beautiful dark green pine trees, and and I knew instantly that we'd reached our, our destination. Uh, it, was a, it was a beach on this foggy morning that was covered in these smooth, dark pebbles everywhere that, that, that coated the sand. And out in the lake stood these towering rock formations that were piercing out out of the fog. And, and the morning mist and the sense of silence just made me feel like I was in a different world. I mean, I, I remember that morning. It absolutely took my breath away. And, and I remember thinking, th- this guy was talking to me, I remember almost thinking, I wish he would go away for a little while so I could just soak this in. It was like standing in a wonderland. I felt so privileged to be there. I remember thinking to myself, of all the people in the world, how did I get here to see this this morning? And, and what I felt in an overpowering way there was what you might call awe. And if you've ever had that experience, which I'm sure that you have, you, you know what I'm talking about. It's, it's the feeling of being so small and so humble and yet getting to experience something that feels to you so great and grand and surprising and, and so much greater than yourself. Well, in the same way, our, we are meant to, in our attitude, contain that sense of awe towards God. Uh, Fearing God, at least in part, it it means that we enjoy a a kind of humbled wonderment towards him. You know, what's so wonderful and helpful about the Bible is that it paints for us a picture of a God who is absolutely breathtaking, a God who is awesome and who, who ought to fill our hearts with wonder. And and I want to spend just a few minutes uh, thinking about this, I, I want to give you just one example of this from the scriptures. Uh, if you would flip ahead to the book of Colossians, chapter 1. It's on page 983, if you've got a Bible here uh, that belongs to the church. 983. And what I want you to do, if you could, is, is bookmark this section. If you have like a little piece of paper, uh, you could use the Connect card in your bulletin. It's a great size for a bookmark. 
You could use your driver's license if you need to. You could ask a, a, the person next to you for their credit card if, if you don't have anything at all. We're going to look just at a few verses beginning in Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. It's titled in my Bible, The Preeminence of Christ. And what this is, is just Paul riffing on how awesome Christ is. And it builds, and it builds, and it builds. Let's just take a few minutes and and we'll see what he says. He starts out in verse 15, that Christ is the image of the invisible God. Just like a mirror reflects your face back to you exactly as it is, Jesus reflects the image of God to us. Everything that is true, Paul is saying, about who God is that we cannot see is made perfectly clear and visible in Jesus Christ, whom the world has seen. To know Christ is to know God because Christ is the image of God. He then goes on to say, he is the firstborn of all creation. And this idea of being the firstborn may make us think that it's about birth order, but it's not about birth order as much as it is about rank and privilege. Paul is saying that Jesus right now reigns supreme over the entire realm of creation. He is the commander-in-chief of everything that exists in the universe, and there is not a single molecule in all of creation that falls outside the scope of his jurisdiction. Listen to what he says next. He says, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth. Jesus brought into existence, this tells us, every single thing that you and I have ever seen with our eyes or touched with our hands or tasted or heard or owned or held or stepped on or talked to or thought about. He's made every rock, every tree, every stream, every bird, every giraffe, every star, every planet, every black hole. And he made all of it out of nothing at all. He created all things. And then he goes on and he says, visible and invisible. He has created things that we have seen and that we can see. But Paul tells us he's created other things too. Things that we haven't seen yet. Things that are invisible to us that the Bible says in other places, even the most uh, uh, impressive imaginations among us cannot begin to fathom or conceive of. And then listen to this. Jump down to the second part of verse uh, 17. It says that, and in him all things hold together. Jesus, Paul would teach, is the reason that the laws of science remain constant. The reason that the earth doesn't plummet out of its orbit and crash into the sun. And the reason that things like photosynthesis work and that the cells in our bodies stick together and don't come unglued is that Jesus is like the ballast of the universe. He is the active, stabilizing force that holds everything together even right now as we sit here. It's underneath his power. And then look back to verse 16. It it gets even more amazing. He says, Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and, listen to this last part, for him. All things were created for him. 
Not only was everything created by him and through him, but it was also created for him. This tells us that the purpose of creation was not creation itself. That the purpose of creation is not for you and me. All things were created for him. We, this says, are not the point. Jesus is the point. And that the entire universe was made with the purpose of shining the spotlight on Jesus' majesty and his glory. And all things were created to display to every living creature just how wonderful and good and perfect he is. And as we read this, an electrifying question should start to spark and charge up within us. And that is this, that if Jesus made everything I can see in the universe, and if he made still other things that I cannot see yet, that are outside of the universe, And if he holds all of these things together by his power as he reigns supreme over all of it, then what kind of God must he be? What kind of God could not only create it all and hold it all together, but what kind of God actually deserves it all? What kind of God is worthy of everything and, in fact, by his very nature, entitled to everything? Uh, Somebody once said, every time I put God in a box, I'm left sweeping up the pieces of shredded cardboard. You know what I think that awe for the Lord is? is? It's living with shredded cardboard. Being comfortable with that. Never letting that sense of wonder for who God is, his majesty, his glory, his justice, his power, his his goodness. Never taking that for granted. Hearing the Lord is like an inability to think casually about God. It's a rejection of shallow religion. It's living with the recognition that in every sense and in every way, God deserves my attention. And he is worthy of my eager affection. And that in the same way that that all of creation is meant to spotlight God, to point to him, it's wanting your life to do that too. To saying, how could it be any other way? How could my life not exist to glorify him? Because he is worthy of it. He is great. It should be that way. And walking in the fear of the Lord is living each day with a a consciousness of God, a seriousness about God, which leads me to, to cheerfully and actively obey him, not because I have to, but because I get to. And in this passage, we find that walking in the fear of the Lord, cultivating that sense of mystery and wonder and awe and respect towards God is an indicator of our spiritual health. That lets us know how we're doing. Now, this passage says that there is another indicator as well. And that indicator, of course, is uh, what comes next. If you want to flip back to Acts chapter 9, verse 31, it says that walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, this church multiplied 
and was built up. Um, So the second indicator of spiritual health is comfort in the Holy Spirit. Uh, I read a stat this last week that uh, really made me sad, and I know it shouldn't surprise me, but these things do still. It, It said that the average high school student today has the same level of anxiety as the average psychiatric patient did in the early 1950s. You believe that? I mean, we, we do believe that, right? We, we get that. We understand that. People in this world are really, really hurting. People around us are in pain. Many of us are in pain all of the time. And, and there's good reason for it. I mean, we can look and see how culture has changed since the 1950s and, and understand why we as a people are much more anxious and, and depressed, why, why we struggle so much today. We are far more isolated than we used to be, more isolated than in any time in history, d- despite the connection that we have to social media. And social media, in fact, the studies show, puts all kinds of pressure on people. It creates all, all sorts of self-image problems and, and loneliness issues. And, and these, these things, of course, contribute to all of that. Uh, there have been dramatic changes that have happened uh, all around the world. And the Internet and, and the 24-hour news cycle makes its living by making sure that we pay as close attention as possible to everything that's going wrong around us. No wonder people are so anxious and and sad. And what people are hungering for is some kind of relief from all of this. They don't like the feelings that it creates within them. And so they look for something outside of them to relieve their sorrows and problems. And what that usually is, is it's comfort. Some kind of comfort. Just give me something that will help me feel better so I don't have to live with this and, and that's pretty normal. We all do the same thing too. But a spiritually healthy person, this passage tells us, doesn't just look for comfort outside of them, but they look for comfort inside of them. And I don't just mean comfort from within themselves that they've sort of self-generated. But what I mean is, is what this passage says. It says, the comfort of the Holy Spirit. You know, we can do this, those of us who have trusted Christ and who believe in what he's done for us, because the Bible tells us that to every believer, the Holy Spirit lives inside of them. One of the teachings of the scripture, that the Spirit of God takes up permanent residence in the body of every believer. And you know why he's there? He's there to do us good. He's there to comfort us and to protect us and to help us and to teach us and to serve us and to convict us and to empower us. He's there to bring things to us that we could never receive or generate on our own. And especially he's there to to comfort us, to remind us of God's promises And though we may have moments in our life where God feels a thousand miles away, the Bible would teach that in truth, for every believer, he is nearer to us than the air in our own lungs. God is with us. 
And that is supposed to mean something to us. This God, who is so big, also makes himself small in our lives. This great, awesome, mighty God who made all things and upholds all things and is worthy of all things, the Bible teaches, also makes his home in little old you and me. And when we are weary and anxious and afraid and and scared, when we turn on the news and, and it captivates us and it stresses us out and we can't sleep that night or children are suffering or our marriage is struggling, we are told that we can lean on the Spirit of God for comfort. That we can find hope and peace and rest and protection that he wants to renew and restore us. God wants to comfort you and he wants to comfort us. And these early Christians Apparently, what they were doing is not just acknowledging the fact that that was true. Yes, they were living in that comfort, resting on that comfort, enjoying it with their souls. Now, Acts 9.31 seems to infer that both of these things, walking in the fear of the Lord and walking in the comfort of the Spirit, are indicators of spiritual health. This is what these people were doing And so I have to obviously ask myself and ask you this question. How are you doing in those two areas? How are you doing in in those two areas? All of us are going to have our ups and downs with this for sure. But let me ask you, do you in your life regularly feel within yourself a, a sense of reverent respect? and wonder, and awe towards God. Do you ever just think about him, and your heart kind of swells up a little bit? And you think, wow, that's my God. you ever have that happen? And do you regularly in your life feel God's comfort in the midst of your pain, and struggle, and difficulties, and discouragements, Are there ever times you go for a walk in your neighborhood just feeling down and and you think about the fact that God is with you and for you and all that he's done in Christ, all of his promises, and you find your spirit lifted, your burdens relieved, the problem maybe not solved, but your strength in some way restored. Does that happen? I think it's important for us to spend some energy reflecting on these things because these two areas, fear of the Lord and comfort in the spirit, are so important for the sake of our spiritual health. And I think that one of the main reasons that these two things are important is that they serve to protect us. These two things are are like boundaries in the Christian life that protect us from harm. So let me just explain how that is. I'll, I'll give you an illustration for a minute. I want you to imagine for just a moment that you are a ship in the United States Navy. You're an actual ship. And you have been ordered to sail across the ocean to a naval base in Europe. But you're a toy ship, okay? You are made out of cheap plastic. And so you know that this is going to be a very long and lonely journey for you. And and so you start out on your way, and it's kind of overwhelming, and, 
And at first, you get sort of bored and restless, and you begin to think of yourself to yourself, you know, I'm just on my own out here. Would anyone notice if I just kind of drifted off course for a while and, and did my own thing? Ponder that. And then a little while later, you hit this huge, terrible uh, storm system, and you think to yourself as you're going up and down in, in these waves, this is horrible. I, I'm not even going to be able to survive this. I'm, I'm sure that I'm going to sink. Right? It's a miserable journey all the way to, to Europe. But what if, instead of being alone, you had been paired together with a great, fearsome battleship? And what if this battleship actually cared about you and was committed to seeing you safely to the base across the ocean at any cost? Do you think that would make a difference in your trip? I think it would make a difference in mine. I mean, if I was tempted to drift off and and go my own way, I might look at that mighty towering ship in front of me with respect and awe, and, and I would keep on sailing right ahead. And if a storm came and I thought that I, I might sink, it would give me such courage and comfort and hope to know that this sturdy ship had my back and was determined to take me safely to the shore. Well, there are two great dangers in the Christian life that every single one of us is susceptible to. The first is the temptation to wander away from God and to begin to chart our own course in life. And even those who've been Christians for a long time can fall victim to this. It it almost never happens overnight, but it's the result of a slow drift away from a sincere faith into a more casual, more superficial kind of Christianity that may continue to go through external Uh, motions, but that has no real power or value. And the person slowly begins to drift and drift and drift. And what protects us from that drift and keeps us healthy is walking in the fear of the Lord. It's awe, it's reverence, it's a sense of honor that we give to God. Well, there's a second great spiritual danger, and, and that is not just the temptation to drift away from God, but the temptation to give in to discouragement in life. To feel like we're just going to sink, like things are hopeless, things can never change. And what happens in this case too is over time, it begins to produce within us that same kind of casual, superficial Christianity where we hold all of our problems and concerns and fears and insecurities separately from our relationship with the Lord and and the fellowship with the Spirit. And we never let what we have here impact those things that are pulling us down here. And our fears, our problems, our concerns become like anchors that pull us down and drag us away from the Lord. And what protects us against sinking into discouragement is walking in the comfort of the Lord. It's allowing the the Holy Spirit to pull us up, to help us, to uh, restore us. The fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit are like protective boundaries that help us to walk steady in the right direction 
in life. The fear of the Lord, that reverence and awe protects us from drifting away from God. And the comfort of the Spirit protects us from sinking down into despair. But here's what's so hard about experiencing both of those things. And it is hard. It it is difficult. We don't experience those things all the time. And the reason I think, at least in part, that that is, is because when it comes to the fear of the Lord and experiencing the comfort of his spirit, the problem with it is there's no formula for how to do that, right? I mean, you might be sitting here today and thinking to yourself, I'd like this and I'd like that, but it's not like I can just flip a switch on the back of my head and experience those things. I can't force it. I can't create it within me of my own power. You know, you can drive your children all the way across the United States and stand them in front of the Grand Canyon, but you cannot keep them from begging you to let them go back in the van and turn on the movie again, right? You can't force awe. You can't force comfort. Fear and comfort are attitudes that we we don't have control over. We can't manipulate them, even within our own hearts. So what are we supposed to do about that? And let me just end with this. We cannot force either of those two things in our life, but I believe that there is one thing that we can do, and that is we can cultivate them. We can cultivate them. We can put ourselves in a place where we are more likely to experience those things. And I believe that if you want those two things, if you want to be a person who does walk in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Spirit, there will be two primary things required of you in order to cultivate that. And that is, first of all, your time. And second of all, your attention. If you want to be a person who enjoys the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Spirit, you've got to give God your time and you've got to give God your attention. That's where it starts. John Newton once said, God works powerfully, but for the most part, gently and gradually. And where I think that applies is that I believe that God builds these two qualities into a person slowly and over time as they are committed to regularly turning their gaze and attention towards the majesty and the goodness and the power and the love and the mercy and kindness of God. Over time, he builds it into those who are willing to turn off the movie and to come out of the van, and just dangle their feet in front of that canyon for a while. And just to enjoy, just to savor it. I would ask you this morning, do you savor your relationship with the Lord? Is that a treasure to you? Do you have a seriousness about you, about the things of God? Is what he thinks of you important? Invaluable more than anything else. Do you really believe that the Lord is the one who is, as the Bible says, the God of all comfort, who can comfort you in any time of distress or trouble that you have? Believing that is grown 
as we come to the Lord through his prayer, through his word, through his people, and we give him our time, and we give him our attention. And just as all the universe, Colossians says, is focused on Christ, we join that. We do that too. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so very much that we have an opportunity this morning to pause our hearts and to consider the greatness of who you are and all that you've done. And as we begin to turn our attention to communion this morning, we pray that that sense of awe and comfort would grow deeper and deeper in our hearts and minds. We pray for those who may be drifting away from you today even, that you might fill them with that sense of reverent fear and awe. We pray for those who may be sinking this morning into discouragement, that you would provide for them a sense of your comfort. Father, help us to be individuals who are healthy and help us to be a church together that is strong. Teach us what it means to walk in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Spirit. Amen.